This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. His name is Todd Erzin and his name is Aaron McIntyre. The heat is back. It's been 90 the last several days here in the in the plains in the Midwest. You guys watched college football over the weekend games well into the 90s like it's summertime. Reminder about our great friends over at Sweatblock. If you live in a place where the heat never really goes away or the heat is on in any given moment for you, it's a job interview, it's a a first date, it's a public appearance, public speaking, public public speaking, the kind of thing that gets the the nervous energy or the, even just the adrenaline going. Uh, and you're worried about excessive sweating, check out our friends over at Sweatblock. Whether it is their antiperspirant wipes, the OGs that kind of launch them as a company that can work with one, with really one application for up to several days at a time, uh, or it's their deodorant stick. I, I love the deodorant lotions they make. So many great products. You can get them all for 20% off when you go to sweatblock.com and use the promo code DACE. Promo code DACE, that's my last name, for 20% off at Sweatblock sweatblock.com with promo code days at sweatblock.com coming up on today's show so if you missed it earlier this year we did a baker's dozen questions from someone in the audience who gave us questions about scrutinizing donald trump ron desantis and robert f kennedy jr as presidential candidates and we made the decision or maybe i just made the decision we were only going to do it with those three because they were the only three that represented every anything different from the the same political paradigm that has Republicans, you know, cutting yet another budget deal over the weekend with Democrats. They're the only ones. Anybody here want to beg to differ with me on that? Do you think Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or any of those people represent anything different than what we've already seen? No, no. And so we viewed them as the disruptor candidates in the race for various reasons. And we devoted individual shows to all three of them and vetting them in depth so if you miss those definitely go back into the archives on the podcast and get them those were i think very intriguing and introspective and in-depth conversations and i think we all even learned something ourselves going through those exercises well about an hour or so after we got done with the show on friday and remember, one of our topics was dealing with what was, what was the potential of RFK Jr. running as a third-party candidate. Maybe an hour, maybe two at the most, after, we got, after the show aired on Friday, news broke that RFK Jr. this week is going to announce he's going to do exactly that. That he is going to run as a third-party candidate. So, now that we know that that's a, a true thing, I would like us to take an hour next hour and vet all three of the candidates simultaneously. And, and we're going to do so on what I, view to, what I view to be really the prime directive of any government according to a biblical worldview. I mean, what, it, what does it mean to be 
an avenging angel uh, publish, you know, punishing the evildoer, as Paul describes government in Romans 13. To what end? Uh, it's, it's largely to protect and defend life. And so we are going to look at all three of these candidates from a, from a protect and defend life position, a true pro-life position, except not just with the abortion issue, although that will be first and foremost and how we will do it, but in four areas that a president has both a biblical moral obligation, but also constitutional oversight and jurisdiction to directly impact the most when it comes to the protection and defense of life. And we're going to look at all three of these candidates and go through all four of these areas and we're going to rank them and then come up at the end of the show and, and see what we all have. And we'll get you guys' reaction uh, to this uh, because I posted some of this on Twitter over the weekend to kind of prime the pump for this conversation. So we've got some reactions uh, from the audience there that we'll be, re- that we'll be uh, uh, responding to later in, in the show as well. I'm looking forward to this kind of think space, this kind of uh, thinking exercise that we're going to be doing. You guys have any thoughts before we get started with it next hour? Well, it got quite a bit of response online there were a lot of different replies so i think that that's a sign that um people are interested in it as well and they realize this is kind of new territory and it's going to take some developing the right muscles to get through it i saw one response that you already already responded to steve of uh, somebody saying oh it's amazing how a biblical worldview just happens to line up with what steve day th- thinks something along those lines you should have just said thank you yeah, that doesn't mean what you think it means. Correct. I mean, it, it, he meant it to me that we're, we're reverse engineering, obviously. Yeah. But I'm to me, you, 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 you check what a biblical worldview has to say, and then you go with that. Now, you're welcome to disagree with this. I mean, we're not certainly the final word on a biblical worldview. It's amazing how there's never worldview. specifics uh, attached yeah. with those but, but, you know, good luck if you can come up with a better metric than us and you want to do your own, by golly. I think these are the kinds of conversations, agree or disagree, that are, you know, first things in a society and much more worthwhile than, um, you know, Bradgelina or uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift or most of the other things, the Kardashians and Kanye that tend to preoccupy us in any given moment. So we'll get into that next hour. We'll be joined at the bottom of this hour by our good friend Bob Vanderplotz. But let's get it going with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Joe Biden signed a funding bill passed by the U.S. Congress late Saturday night that averts a so-called government shutdown. The bill keeps the government funded through November 17th, just a few days before the Thanksgiving weekend. Coming out of the U.S. House, the bill had more support from Democrats than it had from Republicans, who, of course, are supposed to have the majority in the House, so that basically tells you everything you need to know about the bill, despite the fact, you know, that uh, Democrat New York Congressman Jamal Bowman tried to interfere with an official act by pulling a fire alarm during deliberations over the weekend. Senator Lindsey Graham went on CBS News over the weekend as well to defend House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who was risking losing his speakership after the contentious vote. I think Kevin is the right guy at the right time. The only way he loses his job is if a handful of Republicans join up with the Democratic Party to fire him. That would be a disaster for They're the future out. of the Republican Party. That's not going to happen. Kevin has the 
overwhelming confidence of his membership. He worked to avoid a shutdown. Mm -hmm. He will help Ukraine, but he's telling everybody in the country, including yeah. me, you better send something over for the border for me to help Ukraine, and he's right to make that demand. More on that interview between Graham and CBS News a little later. According to the publication Mediaite, Democrat presidential hopeful RFK Jr. is planning to continue his run for president of the United States as an independent. Kennedy's campaign machine is now planning attack ads against the Democrat National Committee in order to pave the way for his announcement in Philadelphia about running as an independent. On the campaign trail as well, Donald Trump is so confident about his lead in the primary and in Iowa that he's now campaigning in earnest in the first in the nation state. He was in Ottumwa, Iowa on Sunday, where he revealed he was never really serious about making Mexico pay for a border wall. So when you hear these lunatics back there say, Trump didn't get anything from Mexico. Well, you know, there was no legal mechanism because I said they're going to help fund this wall. But there was no legal mechanism. You know, how do you go to a country and say, by the way, I'm building a wall, hand us a lot of money? Trump was back in New York this morning in court over that $250 million civil fraud case brought against him and the Trump organization by Marxist New York Attorney General Letitia James, who could be seen on camera obsessively staring at Trump. The judge in the civil case laughed and smiled at the cameras before gaveling the court into order. Again, that basically tells you all you need to know. Elsewhere, GOP presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis went on uber-liberal Bill Maher's show on HBO. Maher asked a series of pointed and slanted questions to DeSantis. Check out this exchange where Maher presses DeSantis on his support of so-called election deniers. But you campaigned. For, for election deniers in 2022. This I do not forgive. Well, to, look. To quote the Godfather. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Carrie Lake, who said Biden is an illegitimate president, Trump didn't. Well, now she's attacking me, so maybe I did make a mistake there, because uh, she's out there saying, she, she's you... trying to say that we mandated vax in Florida. We did the opposite. We protected people even from private mandates. So, so, so that may have been. But Trump but... lost the election, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so why did you campaign for people? Who because I wanted to see Republicans win key races. And I think it's important. That's not a deal breaker issue for you. That's not democracy. Well, okay, well, let's go back to 2016. Uh, your friends in Hollywood were cutting ads telling the Electoral College to, to vote against Trump in, in the Electoral College because it was stolen. They said Russia stole the election. For years they said that. So don't act like this is like okay. a unique well, thing in modern history of the country. First, first of all, Ron, I have no friends in Hollywood. California Governor Gavin Newsom will appoint Maryland resident LaFonza Butler, president of EMILY's List, to fill the late Democrat Senator Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat. EMILY's List is that radical baby-killing group, so it's pretty on brand for California. A couple of quick positive stories. In Loudoun County, Virginia, a jury on Friday found former Loudoun County Public Schools Superintendent Scott Ziegler guilty of using his position to retaliate against a teacher for cooperating with another grand jury investigation on how the district handled sexual assault after a four-day trial plus a day of deliberations, the jury found that Ziegler wrongly fired a teacher who had disclosed to Virginia investigators about mishandling of sexual assault in her classroom. Ziegler was convicted of using his official position to retaliate against someone for exercising their rights. And then there's this. The U.S. Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled in favor of the group Parents Defending Education in their lawsuit against the Linmar Community School District in Iowa. The court granted a preliminary injunction against the school district's policy that prohibits intentional or persistent refusal to, quote, respect a student's gender identity. See that as using pronouns. It's a win for sanity. And finally, more from that interview between CBS News and Lindsey Graham. We had to 
keep the government open. We got 45 days to fix both problems. Um, Listen, people call me Lady G just because I like to cross-dress. Maybe I put on some lipstick, some heels, and tuck my testicles back using Gorilla Tape, but that doesn't mean I don't love this country. And that's what happened while we were away. Wisest words Lindsey Gramnesty's ever spoken, right there. Who says AI has to be evil? Aaron's Montage, brought to you by our friends over at Relief Factory. You know, everybody deals with pain from time to time. And as we get older, it's one of the few guarantees in life, along with death and taxes. So when it happens, time to deal with it. But sometimes there is no moving forward. Because sometimes it comes back day after day, month after month, until it fills your daily existence and steals some of the joy you get out of life. If you're one of those people who experiences that kind of pain. You know how awful it can be. The good news is it doesn't have to be that way. Relief Factor is a great way to reduce pain, which is mostly caused by inflammation in the joints. And when you take it as directed, it could possibly change your life. It's not a drug. It's something developed by doctors that reduces inflammation in your body. And 70% of the people who take it keep ordering it because of the results they see. See if it works for you, too. If you're living with pain, please try the three-week quick start. It's just 20 bucks, 1995. It's a trial pack. What do you got to lose for three weeks for 20 bucks to see if you don't see a difference in your pain level or not? When you go to relieffactor.com, that's relieffactor.com. Or you can call them at 800, the number 4-RELIEF, 800-4-RELIEF or relieffactor.com. We will get into the uh, DeSantis Bill Maher interview uh, later today in the overtime. We'll record that right after today's show for Blaze TV subscribers. You'll be able to watch it after we do later today at blazetv.com slash days. And if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber and would like to become one, that's also where you can go and make it happen for just 10 bucks a month. Blazetv.com slash days. I got a text right before we went on the air. Uh, from our good friend Constantinus Roditis, who, of course, I think, was it 2018? He was the Comptroller nominee in California, or 2020, one of those years. Yeah. And I think he had more rep- uh, votes statewide than any Republican in California that cycle, right? I believe that's right. Uh, he just sent me this text, quote, it's a ve- I'll just read it to you guys. It's a very smart political move for Gavin Newsom to appoint Butler to the U.S. Senate seat. She worked on Kamala's presidential run in 2020 and is a major fundraiser. This move just cuts Kamala out of a big portion of her fundraising. It will all go to Newsom. Even if he doesn't run in 24, this sits him up, sets him up well in the Democratic Party for 2028. Any quick thoughts on that before we move on? And she's completely evil, so it's perfect all the way around. Yeah. All boxes checked. All right. Okay. Um, Let's get this out of the way now because I want to discuss more because the RFK Jr. conversational perfectly segue into what we're going to do next hour. We'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, we have we've talked the last few years about how the left has just decided it doesn't have to lie anymore, right? That it just, we're, we're literally in devil in a red unitard with a pitchfork at this point. Just not even, not even using the same talking points, not even attempting any modicum of restraint or clever packaging or... Um, camouflaged messaging or branding just right out in the open the the hell mouth is open and it's just burping forth now 
the words coming out of their mouth, right? We've talked a lot mm-hmm. about that over the years. On a, on a, on a separate note, it, it appears now that Donald Trump feels that same way about his own base, that he just doesn't have to even attempt you know, you, we're a long way away. He's just not the same guy. We're a long way away from, well, you know, remember he said this in Iowa, you know, the crowds get bored sometimes at my rallies and things go quiet. And I just tell them they're going to build a wall and Mexico's going to pay for it and the crowd goes wild and it gets everybody fired up again, right? Okay, mm-hmm. right. And, and now he's just out there saying you were a lunatic if you actually thought that that was real and was going to happen. Here's the thing. He says he couldn't find a way to lawfully make it happen. On this show, I said for months there was a way to lawfully make this happen. We gave, at the time, I don't know what the number is now, but at the time that Trump was assuming the presidency, we gave about $900 million a year of foreign aid to Mexico. Just put in the budget, that's an offset. That goes to, once the wall is built, that all that money will now be diverted to the wall. And once the wall is built, you know, you can have your foreign aid back. Didn't we do those shows throughout 2017? All those, the early days of the Trump presidency and those budget fights, there, there was actually a way to make Mexico pay for the wall in a way. Yeah. And that was to just simply take their foreign aid and apply it to the building of the wall. And, and then some of you are going to say, well, he couldn't get the Republican Congress to do that. That's a little bit like what Aaron pointed out a few minutes ago. Funny how... The biblical worldview tends to line up with whatever Steve Dace thinks. That doesn't say what you think it says. I'm, I'm trying to line up my thinking with what a biblical worldview says, so thank you. Yeah. Well, if you couldn't get the Republicans to do it before, when you weren't a lame duck and 80, um, how would you get them to do it now? I mean, you see what I'm saying? Of course. I mean, the, the idea that we must elect someone who is not responsible for anything and could not and couldn't get things done because of all the obstruction to then go and not be responsible yeah. and get things done all over again. I don't understand. But, yeah, we have to put okay. him, but we have to. It's imperative we put yes. him back there because yeah. only he can solve. Yes, even though he's telling he couldn't solve it before, and now he's just not even trying to solve things. I I appreciate this. I I told you last week. I I appreciate the abortion comments. I I love the honesty. I, I'd be I'd be perfectly fine if we just lassoed Wonder Woman lassoed of truth everybody. Kevin Nealon, subliminal man from back in the day on Weekend Update, and everybody just had to say what they really thought all of the time. I, I'm, I'm totes cool with that, but this is a vastly different campaign than what we saw in 2016. Vastly different. Vastly different. And this is the same human being. So you have to ask yourself... Which one was the real Donald Trump? The one that said the things you wanted and made you cheer? And now the one who says we have to be pro-choice and you were a lunatic if you thought I was ever going to be able to build a wall and have Mexico pay for it. I mean, in some respects, he is kind of becoming what I feared eight years ago. And for a long time, I thought maybe I overestimated that and I was wrong. But now you're just seeing him out there just openly trying to lie to people, deceive people, get people to change their positions on things, influence people to change their positions on things and move to the left on virtually every issue of, of consequence. And, and now we have this whole new breed of, of rhino from Elise Stefanik to uh, Nancy Mace. At this point, Nancy Mace is going to be my politician of the year. 
for the year end days group, she's way ahead at, at this point. I mean, I, I mean, I can show up at a prayer breakfast and joke about fornicating with my shack up. I can, I can, I can, you know, march in pride parades, be pro abortion. But as long as I go on Fox news and scream, witch hunt where Trump is concerned, the people of South Carolina don't care what I believe in. And I, I actually look at who South Carolina votes for. Yeah. I'm not sure that that, pl- that applies entirely to just Nancy May. So you had that, me that, at the people of South Carolina yeah, that, don't that care. That seems to be an affliction statewide of that uh, of allegedly daunt, you know, uh, vaunted red state. But he's just now now you're now he is just speaking very plainly. And I think before he spoke very plainly what you and I wanted to hear. Now he's speaking very plainly about what he really thinks. And I like it because it puts people on blast. And it doesn't, you know, it, in fact, it often doesn't lead to the outcomes we want, the telling of truth at this level, which is why we so infrequently do it as a species. But I love it. And even if even if it works. I'm satisfied enough now that the truth is being told that I know that you know and you know that I know and you know that I know that you know that I know. The amount of your soul and principles he's making you swallow right now to completely forget and lie about all of this. And East of Eden, sometimes that's just good enough. Any quick thoughts on that before we move on? That's probably going to have to be good enough. It's probably going to have to be. This is just the frustration and the quagmire that I find myself in. Is that Donald Trump, yes, he is continuing to sell out and change. And, well, maybe he's not changing. Maybe he's reverting to the mean of what he always believed. Just running a completely, as you said, different campaign than 2016. That is bad. (laughs) That's not a good thing. And then juxtapose that with a laughing judge and a just whack job attorney general just staring him down. You know what this is all about. And sure, did Donald Trump defraud banks, inflate, you know, inflate some of his holdings? Of course he did. Is that wrong? Yes, of course it is. But any law that's not applied evenly is really not much of a law at all. And so, again, this is a, a fraud. On the one hand, you've got the guy who is being unfairly targeted. On the other hand, you've got the guy who is putting a target on his back and nobody seems to care about it. It's just chaotic. Hmm. Just chaotic. I can't stand it. I really can't. I don't know what you do about it. Which brings us to RFK Jr. now. He is going to do what we were speculating on on friday oh, you was totally wrong yeah and I you was totally wrong right so was i and I, I think all three of us to some degree were stunned at how aggressive paul alexander on our panel was that he thought rfk would seriously consider it. he thought it was as high as 50 50 because of the way he had been done by the democratic party and paul turned out to be correct about that so here's another boomer now albeit 10 years younger than both Biden and Trump. And when you're that age, 10 years can make a big difference. Like, you know, he's doing backflips off a cliff, okay, over the weekend on video. And I don't think you're going to be seeing, you know, uh, Biden or 
or Trump doing either one of those things anytime soon unless they fall in and they can't get up. So he's also a boomer, but he projects a lot more youthfulness than either of them do. And there's been a lot of discussion over the weekend about which side he takes away from. And I, I just simply think there's too much to, that we don't know yet to answer that question on October 2nd. I will tell you, though, MAGA Inc., from what I saw over the weekend, not happy about this development. RFK Jr. did an interview over the weekend, and he was asked point blank, who do you think you take more away from? He actually said he thought he took more away from Trump than Biden. I think a lot of it comes down to his messaging. If he messages himself as a, as a disruptor overall, then he will, like, meaning that I'm a reasonable liberal with some viewpoints that you agree with. That, if, he, if he jettisons that messaging and goes full onboard disruptor, the, the, the bureaucrats on the left and the corporatists on the right are basically, you know, and their beards have all grown longer overnight. They're the same side. They're the same people. And a lot of what we have argued and debated about as Republicans and Democrats my entire lifetime is really just pro wrestling and not even true. And in the smoke filled rooms, these two guys get together and split the spoils. And it's you uh, that that's working for a living and living paycheck to paycheck and figuring out how I'm going to pass the American dream on to my kids. If he does that, then I think he hurts the GOP nominee no matter who it is. If he kind of tries to cobble together I'm a, the, I'm a reasonable liberal, so the environmental message, let's pay off some student loan debt, big pharma's bad, forever war's bad, then I kind of think that, you know, he, he probably takes a little bit from both sides, I would guess. Um, but I also think, more than anything, it is way too early to know the answer to that question quite yet. Aaron, what do you think? So I believe he will only have a significant impact on this race if and only if it is Biden v. Trump again. Let me let me stipulate something as well or put something out there. And I agree it's too early. I don't know what his message is going to be. What if he goes full bore? And I hate saying this because this is just demonic math here. What if he goes full bore baby killing? and targets only, only, like the youth vote. In a Biden v. Trump matchup, he goes full bore, only like campaigns on college campuses. What does that do? Because I think that could be... Well, then he's trying to get a Republican Republican elected at that point. I think that could be disastrous for the Democrats. Yeah, I just don't see any way possible, Todd, he does that. I agree if he did that, he would. But I don't, I don't, to me, if he wanted to be full bore abortion, he'd just stay in the Democratic Party. I think you do this because there's a broader slate of issues that you want to speak to and address with the country. But I don't know. You tell me, man. You're the guy that's been reading from Children's Health Defense all these years. So you tell me what you think. Well, I was I was totally wrong because I thought now he has a place of prominence in the discussion uh, about uh, healthcare in general that he's been trying to get into for so long, and this could jeopardize it. And a lot, I was wrong about him getting in, but I wasn't wrong about the fact that uh, the magical power of vaccines and why this is tenuous to do it. Because look at what's happening right now with uh, 
uh, the Nobel Peace Prize to the uh, creators of the MRNR this this cult. Yeah, they gave the Nobel going, Peace Prize yeah. to the people who helped develop the COVID vaccines, which is a little bit like giving human traffickers an award from an adoption agency. Yes. The, yeah, this. Yeah, that was a fantastic. This this cult will not rest. It will. It it will an, uh, anoint Biden uh, over uh, Kennedy and happily, and the youth vote will come right along because of how it'll be seduced in. People are already talking about if that if that's part of what's going on with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. I mean, and I I don't I I think he's right in this moment. Uh, Kennedy is about he would take more from Trump and I think we do know a lot more uh, about the likelihood of that staying that way than than I think what you let on Steve only because I've just got to go back to the, the the magical power of vaccines they will not they will destroy him they will not allow this voice to gain purchase Joe Biden will be full-on weekend at Bernie'd the youth vote is not discerning enough. They, the youth vote is full-on tranny madness. You think they're going to be discerning on this? There's no way that's going to happen. Okay. If you're right, then that explains his answer that I take more away from Trump. Yeah. Because then he will message the way that I that I suggested. He will message that, or whoever the Republican nominee is, he will message, you know, a, 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 a total anti-system message. Com- a comprehensively across the board yeah. because that'll be the only answer to what you just talked about then. Yes. Yeah. And then, then, if, then, then you can see why MAGA Inc. was not happy with this announcement on Friday and why he said what he said over the weekend that he thinks he takes more away from Trump if he's the nominee than Biden. I, I also agree that if we were dealing with DeSantis and Newsom, this would not be nearly the factor whatsoever. I, I just think Agreed. I, I think a lot of this is just these guys again, these screamers again, these name callers again, these grumpy old men again, these guys marching, uh, slouching to senility all over again. I, I, I think that's a big part of this. And it's what I said on Friday uh, that I really believe if either party in this cycle were to figure out a way to, to turn the page to a, a nominee of the next generation, they'd pick up three to five points in the general election on just that alone. So I think I think he gets at least that in the general election alone, if if it's Trump or Biden, based on what I I think that there's a lot of people at any give me something new, anything new at all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by our friends over at Collective. You know, freelance work is booming right now. So many people taking the leap to start their own businesses. But how do you maximize your earnings, minimize your taxes, and make sure you're legally compliant? It can be overwhelming, confusing, and it takes time away from your billable hours. That's why you need to talk to the experts 
at collective.com. Collective was built specifically for businesses of one that are making over 60000 a year in profit. Collective handles, if that's you, handles all of your back office work so you can focus on your passion and not that paperwork. And stick around because they've got so many great deals uh, that uh, can help you backdate your S-Corp and save thousands on taxes this year because Collective is an all-in-one financial solution for your business of one, business formation, compliance, paperwork, taxes, bookkeeping, accounting, even payroll. Plus, if you're already an LLC, Collective can retroactively elect your S-Corp status back to July 1, which could save you thousands on your 2023 taxes. In fact, collective members save an average of $10,000 per year on taxes with this structure. Best of all, a collective membership pays for itself in with just a few months, and it's 100% tax deductible. So check out collective.com slash Steve before October 31st to potentially save thousands of dollars on your 23 taxes. And to sweeten the deal, we'll offer you an extra $100 off when you use that link collective.com slash Steve, but you've got to do it before October 31st, collective.com slash Steve. Let's welcome in our good friend, Bob Vanderplotz. And so two things I want to bring to your attention, good news and bad news. When we're talking about the environment of this 2024 campaign cycle, good news and bad news. What do you want to start with first? Let's do bad news. I always like ending on good news. See, I'm with you. I, I, whenever someone brings to me good news and bad news, I'm always to bring me the bad news first, guy. <laughs> Let's just deal with it, confront yeah, it, and get it over with. Get it out of the way. And, you know, I'm a big believer in the George Costanza axiom, end on a high note. Okay? Yeah, amen. Let's get the bad news out of the way. And sometimes the bad news isn't all that bad, but you'll probably prove me wrong here. Go well, ahead. And, and this is more your arena than mine, Okay. God, sorry, Marco Rubio break there. You're more of the, uh, you're, you, I mean, I know some, I know some donors, but I'm mainly an activist. You're, you're mainly a fundraiser, but you're also an activist. Fair? Is that sure. a fair way of dealing with kind of you and I's yin and yang? Okay. Yeah. So this is more in your wheelhouse. Okay. And normally this is the kind of thing I would say to you off the air to get your take before we talked about it on the air. But since I asked you what you wanted to talk about, you didn't have anything. I'm going to make you answer it on the air then. Okay. Just doing some checking over the last week or two. What I have been told indirectly and directly from people within or people who know the donor class, even conservative donors, is that they are basically out already. They're already out. They are convinced the Republican base is is hell-bent on a suicide mission with Donald Trump, and they're out, and they're not coming back in. And they've already moved on from this cycle by and large. And and when you throw in, if Trump is your nominee, what he's going to be spending on legal defense instead of on a campaign, there's just no way around not getting incredibly and badly and terribly outspent in this next cycle. And what that will mean for people down ballot and everything else, trying to scrimmage up the, the funds they need on their own and everything else is um, essentially a whitewash in the next election. Now, it's, it, it's really easy to be nihilistic now. And, it, you know, we'll see if people are as nihilistic at this time next year, you know, when the emotion of the competition mm-hmm. kicks in. But I, I've, I mean, I've never had conversations like this, like what I've had in the last week or two. 
Well, you're, are, are you, this is your world. Is that yeah. an exaggeration or not? Oh, absolutely not. And I think your bad news is also old news. Uh, the donor mm. class has been getting more and more and more frustrated. By the way, and when I say donor class, I'm talking about people that would even talk to somebody like you and me. Yeah. Like, we're not talking about, like, you know, the people Ronna, Mc, Ronna Romney's calling. Right. The kind of people that would talk to people sure. like you and me. Not We're not talking your, you know, Carl Rove's donors to Crossroads pack here. Okay. No, you're exactly, but, but the donors, by and large, and I think it, it crosses a larger spectrum that, but the donors are saying, I'm just tired of politicians. I'm tired of campaigns. I'm tired of parties. Because one is I invest all this money, and what does it get me? Kind of your deal about, you know, the new boss is kind of mm-hmm. the same as the old boss. Mm-hmm. And then two is once I invest in all these campaigns, the party, whatever it is, when November 5 hits, November 7 hits, whatever the November date is that hits, that money's gone. And all they do is they keep asking me for more. And so we have found out that if you can give them something that inspires them, so like the mission at the family leader to inspire the church, to engage government for the advance of God's kingdom and the strengthening of family, and the ripple effect of how that impacts elections, how does that influence policy, how does that establish a biblical partnership, all of a sudden they're like, I'm into that. Because what happens, we can impact an election but after the election, that's an investment that keeps going and growing by impacting the church. So they're already seeing the campaigns as temporary. And not only just temporary, it's kind of like, you know, what is it good for type deal? Like, you know, what what's it getting me? So in order for this donor class to rise up and get inspired, they're going to need to have a candidate that rises up and inspires them. And could that be a Donald Trump? Maybe depending on who his opponent is, okay? So Hillary Clinton galvanized a lot of people around Trump because it was Hillary Clinton. You didn't want Hillary. So that could happen. But otherwise, it'd be a lot better if you had a donor or a candidate who actually inspired about where we take in this, and this is a fresh new vision uh, versus a tired old game. And I think they're just sick of the tired old game. All right, so let's contrast that with some good news, I was told. Well, at least I, I think it's good news, I guess. As a matter of fact, your bad news is kind of good news, too, because they're calling, they're kind of calling the bluff. We've played this game a lot. You guys keep hitting me with the next GOP, and the GOP's my savior, and the GOP's not been my savior. Mm-hmm. We still grow the debt. We still have Saw all this Saw that over the agenda. weekend. They just completely sold out on another budget fight yet again. And so when they don't see the difference that it makes, I'm telling you, why would they continue to invest? Let me, well, I mean, my our old company, before we merged with the Blaze, was started because a um, a prominent GOP donor Again, the kinds of donors talk to guys like you and me. Sure. Not the kinds of people donating to, you know, we have, a, conservatives have a donor class too, like the, the, you know, so I'm not talking about people that, I'm not even, I wouldn't even contemplate calling somebody that donates to Carl Rove's pack, nor would they even take my call. I'm talking about people who donate to, you know, the stuff that guys like you and I do. Sure. Okay. Well, Conservative Review was started by a well-to-do, wealthy GOP donor, our kind of donor, who had maxed out everything completely in the 2010 uh, Tea Party elections. And John Boehner came to his home and everything else and just lied through his teeth about everything they were going to do. And he's like, Something's, some, some media entity has to be created 
um, to, to hold Republicans accountable from the right. And that's how it can, that's where the money and the funding for conservative review began because of what you just said. Sure. That was, that's the origin of, that's how Daniel and I and Rob Eno and, and Rachel Semmel and, and, and Gaston Mooney, we all came together because the guy who created it, Mark Levin, we all came together. He wasn't the donor. We all came together because he was one of the conservative donors you're talking about. So now you take a look at that donor who hangs out with other donors and so instead of the, him saying, listen, I got another John Boehner, mm-hmm. he's going, I brought up Levin, I brought up Dace, I brought, all of a sudden you start seeing there's an ROI because it's impacting the mm-hmm. culture, which also impacts the election, mm-hmm. which influences the policy. So he's saying my ROI is way better doing this. And that's why a lot of our donors, they see the ROI by going into the family leader way more impactful than saying, let's get the next John Boehner. As you sit here today, as a follow-up question of what you just pointed out, as you sit here today on October the 2nd, what was the point of voting for a Republican majority in the House of Representatives last year? Yeah. What what, what is the singular accomplishment? (laughs) What, What is the singular thing that they have done in a full year that made that vote a worthwhile exercise? Well, you're answering the question you just asked, and that is why the donors are saying I'm done giving to these political parties and these candidates, because they do not see a tangible difference. They see what's happening is that uh, Schumer and Pelosi and others are still leading that Congress. You know, it's not making a difference. And that's why I think when you got McCarthy now uh, being challenged within his own ranks, uh, I think there's somebody, maybe a small minority right now but people are saying i'm tired of doing this i'm calling the bluff and go back steve when donald trump was president and these continuing resolute spending resolutions came up right mm-hmm. and w- remember when he signed the first one i'll never do this again and what did he do he did it again <laughs> and that's what people get and tired again of. And actually ag- several times yeah. and, so, and then he signed the worst omnibus yeah, bill of all yeah. time the cares act yeah. and so COVID. we grow government we grow spending we fund the cares act which stole the 2020 election so if you're into the the election was stolen in 2020 we funded that we funded the steal i think the problem the republican party has now and the reason it's accomplished nothing is it can't get away with with selling out the base for corporatists in the open anymore. So they at least like would have done that and, 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 and come up with something. Okay. They can, so they're frozen now. They can't do anything because that's what most of their members want to do is just split the baby in half. You know, we fit, we fund our interest, you fund yours. They cannot do that as aggressively as they could in the past because People are, are wise to that now, mm-hmm. but then they don't want to do anything affirmatively that would fight for our issues. And then they always claim, well, that would get us a government shutdown. And so we, nothing happens. They do, they do absolutely nothing. They're just, they're frozen in, in, in quicksand. But, but, they're but, trapped. But, but the selling point is that's why you need us to stay in the majority. Why? Because we're not doing anything. You need me to win re-election. Why? Because we're not advancing the ball on our issues. And that's why I think they're looking for fresh, bold, courageous leadership that has a history of taking on the system and has shown an ability to win. And that's if they get that, I think there's a chance that they, they re-up in the 2024 cycle. If they don't get that, I think you're right. They're going to stay on the sidelines. All right, so here's pro- here's here's good news, I think. Are we done talking bad news? Yeah. All right. So a guy you and I both know, he's not really a pollster. I mean, he's really a data analyst who does polling. But he, he, he his, his forte is analyzing data, not just, you know, collecting polling data. That's Chris mm-hmm. Wilson. Yeah. And 
he was on, uh, I mean, I worked with him on the cruise campaign for a year. I know how good the guy is. So, I mean, I, I worked with his data every day. And he was on our show last Thursday. And he is predicting over 210,000 Iowans vote in the caucuses on January 15th, which would be at least 15% higher turnout than the highest caucus cycle turnout we ever had, which was 2016. But 185, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, both parties were open. Yep. We had a we had a, a celebrity candidate running for the first time. We had this star-studded field of senators and governors who couldn't even make it to caucus day. The thing was so there was so much energy. And there's like none of that energy on the ground right now. Like none of it. Like you, you don't you, you you go to rural Iowa, you don't see every barn with a Trump sign, for example. My precinct, which I which I organized for crews and, and uh, for obvious reasons, that's my own home precinct. I walk that precinct almost you know at least once or twice a week. You know, my five-mile walks, I've counted three signs and one for Vivek and two for DeSantis, and one of them's mine, okay? Mm. I mean, there's like no energy at yeah. all. And so to hear him tell me we're going to shatter the turnout record blew my mind. But, I mean, I, I would assume that's good news, but what do you think? I think it is good news. As a matter of fact, you're going to bring a lot more people to the caucus process. I think a couple things lend itself to that, Steve. One is... They do see a Joe Biden and that administration and the difference administrations make. Uh, there's no doubt that they see that. Two is you're going to have a governor in the state of Iowa who's going to make it her mission to mobilize as many Iowans to those caucuses as she can. And she has got a exceptionally strong voice in the state of Iowa and people love her. And you have an organization like ours that we're going to mobilize the church not for a candidate, not for a party, but to be the timeless and prophetic voice to a culture. And when you see that infusion, I really believe Chris is right. I think you're going to get to 210,000. And I think what you may not be seeing in signs and stuff, I think the signs is, I think it's more damning for Trump than it is for others. Why? Because if you're Trump, you already know him. There's no more he, he can sway you on. You'd have Trump stuff up ready. If you're still looking, if you're still searching, if you're still kicking the tires, I don't know DeSantis yet. I don't know Nikki yet. I don't know this Vivek character yet or Mike Pence or Tim Scott, whoever it is. You're not there yet. But once you get there, let's take a look around Thanksgiving, even though you could have snow already. What starts happening then? You start seeing those semi-trailers in the fields and they also got a name on it or a barn's got something on, or you start seeing the organic signs that you're talking about, or the YouTube videos, then you know a candidate's got momentum. Hmm. Do you see any sign on the ground at all that over 200,000 people are going to vote on January 15th? That's 100 in, what, four days from today? Well, what, what I can tell you is that uh, you're at our leadership summit. Take a look at what a packed house that was. There's a lot of interest there. Uh, we... <laughs> We have an event coming up on November 17th, the Thanksgiving Family Forum. And our team just visited in a team meeting. We're wondering if we're even going to put out tickets publicly because we think there'll be such a demand privately in our own base that okay. those tickets are going to be gone. All right. That's, that's good. That's good anecdotal experiential data. Then where's, where then is the public displays of affection to go along with all of that energy then? Where is it at right now then? Yeah, that, that's a fair question. Now, the candidates, I mean, I've talked to Nikki, I've talked to DeSantis, I've talked to Vivek and Tim, and they all tell me, and I believe that to be true, is that they are getting good attendance at their, at their town halls or rallies, those type of things. Trump just had, I think, a 1,000 people in a tumwa. 
I think people are taking an interest. I really do. I don't think it's manifested itself yet. And the other part of it is, Steve, to give you a, a compare and contrast. Trump being a former president, will he run, won't he run, kind of put everything on pause. You know, what's going to happen? Then all of a sudden he's going to run. Will anybody run against him? All of a sudden you get, yeah, DeSantis is running, Pence is running, Nikki's running, all these people are running. So now you got a caucuses. What I just told our team, if Trump becomes the nominee of the Republican Party, do you realize that the caucuses will never end for another four years? Because he's a lame duck immediately. Mm -hmm. He cannot run again, which means Ted Cruz, DeSantis, whoever else is going to be coming in right away again. Glenn Youngkin, who's term limited in Virginia. Exactly. All of a sudden, these things are going to be on the steroids. So if Trump's the nominee, the caucuses never end. And if Trump's not the nominee, you know, then we'll see how that process plays out. But I think it's been a slow roll because of the former Trump or former president getting in. And now I think people are still in the process of kicking tires. Well, in that scenario, you're right, it won't end. And we'll have things like in 20 in 20 before the 2012 caucuses ever got started. Bobby Jindal was so convinced that Romney was going to be the nominee and couldn't win. He was already inviting me to functions in the state of Louisiana. Oh, sure. You'll, you'll have stuff like that. 2008. 30 seconds. 2008, Bobby Jindal was here. Yeah. And it was a 2012 election. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, Bob. Thank you, man. Good to see you guys. All right. When we come back, an in-depth thinking exercise. We're looking forward to it. Stay tuned. Here at Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. He's Todders, and he's Aaron McIntyre. And you are you. And you can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Just email the show, Steve at SteveDace.com, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, me, we, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Gitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can find me over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. If you follow us via the podcast, thank you so very much. You're a big part of the show. Please, if you wouldn't mind, leave us a big five-star review. If you like it, of course, thanks to all of you who have and hit subscribe or if you're on iTunes, follow so that, you know, every time we do a new episode, it shows up right in your feed. And thanks to all of you that have done that for us, too. Thanks as well to our friends at ExpressVPN for partnering with us during this portion of the show. You ever heard of data brokers? Uh, They're the middleman. Uh, collecting and sealing or selling all these digital footprints that uh, we leave online. They can stitch together detailed profiles, which include browsing histories, online searches, location data. They then sell your profile off to a company who delivers to you a targeted ad. Well, no biggie, right? Well, you might be surprised to learn that these same data brokers are also selling your information to Homeland Security and the IRS. So I don't know if you want the tax man showing up at your door because of what you're searching for online or the feds for that matter. So why not mask your digital footprint with our friends at ExpressVPN? It's one of the easiest ways for brokers to aggregate data and tie it back to you is through your device's unique IP address, which also reveals information about your location. But when you're connected to ExpressVPN, your IP address is hidden. That makes it much more difficult for brokers to identify who you are. It also, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network traffic to keep your 
your data safe from hackers on public Wi-Fi. That's why I've got the ExpressVPN app downloaded on all my devices, and you can too, and it just takes one tap of the button to turn it all on so that you're protected. It's that easy. Make sure your online activity and data is protected with the best VPN money can buy. Visit expressvpn.com, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com, expressvpn.com, and find out if you go to expressvpn.com slash Steve, expressvpn.com slash Steve, how you'll get three extra months for free at expressvpn.com slash Steve. Steve. So this hour, we are going to do a thinking exercise. And I got to thinking about this over the weekend with it now becoming confirmed. He's going to formally announce it, I believe, later this week that RFK Jr. will be running third party. There's already a poll out I've seen from Echelon Insights. I have no idea how accurate the poll is, how accurate they are. And I mean, I the psyops we're seeing being called polls these days i don't even know what's real and what's not but nevertheless it at rfk jr at 14 percent to put that in perspective the 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 modern day record for a third party candidate in the popular vote was ross perot was 19 percent in 1992 and now we're dealing with somebody whose last name is kennedy and and as dis- disgusted as people were with the two-party system 30 years ago they're existentially so now so now that it's apparent that he will run third party slash independent, I think it's time to revisit the 2024 presidential election from a biblical worldview. Now, earlier this year, we devoted individual episodes to Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump and RFK Jr. We looked at their candidacies with a baker's dozen questions for all three pretty in-depth, did entire two hour shows on just this topic. If you miss those, you want to hear them again, I think they would be more than worth your time to go back into the archives on the podcast and find those so you can listen to them now. They're maybe even more relevant now than we did when when we did them at the time that we did. But for this exercise, this hour, gentlemen, I want us to focus on one singular issue and zero in. And we're going to narrow it to pro life. Because according to a biblical worldview, which is the driving force of our show, um, it's, life is the highest moral principle. Thus, the purpose of government, as the Bible says, as, quote, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the evildoer or the wrongdoer, end quote. First and foremost, the purpose of that role is to protect and defend life. Now, I believe there are four key areas. There's a fifth that we're not going to address in this exercise, crime and punishment. And the reason why is because this thing's already pretty, pretty long as it is that we're going to be talking about. Number two, we don't really know what RFK Jr.'s current positions on such things happens to be. And so we'd probably go back and to the 80s and 90s and see kind of a lot of liberal simping for criminals that may or may not be relevant to where he is today. And I just didn't think it would be fair to do that. But... Um, That would be the fifth issue that I think applies here. But we're going to look at four issues that I think a president plays a key role in protecting and defending life. And that's in alignment with both what a biblical worldview says is the proper role of government, as well as the framework of our Constitution, the authority and power that a president actually has. 
we're going to apply all three of these four or all we're going to apply each of these four criteria to each of these three candidates and score them in each area area on a scale of one to five. So I'm going to lay out in each area where I have each candidate one to five and why. And then I'm going to give each of you guys a chance to agree, disagree, and put your own scores in. But make sure you keep track of what your scores are as we go along. Okay? All right. Any questions before we start on this? Should no, should I clear. should I have done crime and punishment? I thought about it, but I thought this thing's pretty long already and really don't know a lot of what RFK Jr. thinks about that in a contemporary context. So I think we should have included that. This is going to be this is going to be a, a big part, I think, of uh, American lives, especially city lives. It yeah. already is yeah. going forward. And especially because of the agenda behind this. Which is basically, my, my mom was in Spokane uh, last week visiting my brother. She went to a Fred Meyer grocery store. She tried to enter the store, and they told her uh, there's some employee back there who lost his mind and is hacking. I'm, I'm not making this up. Is taking an axe and hacking pe- trying to hack up his coworkers. Oh, my. He was just released with no bond on Friday. So crime... That's the same for Admire Park. Well, I'm not going to go there. Uh, crime is going to be a huge part, I'm afraid, of our lives going forward because it's so central. Not punishing crime is so central to the leftist demonic agenda. That's a good point. And as someone who's recently been out to Spokane, Washington in the last few years for a speaking engagement, it's a beautiful little hamlet area out there. Um, so that kind of speaks to what you're talking about. If, if Spokane, Washington, you know, is, is, is having hacksaw violence then what what goes on daily in new york chicago la right if we had included crime it would have been to the benefit of desantis in this exercise if you look at assuming rfk jr must still have some neoliberal sympathies on the issue to some degree um i doubt they were with what he was thinking probably in the 90s but probably to still to some degree he does and then we saw with trump you know, jailbreak legislation, as Daniel calls it. Um, we saw how impotent he looked during the riots of 2020. So if we had included that issue, it would have benefited DeSantis, given how the, he's put the hammer down in Florida compared to the other two. But it's not included. So we're going to go with these four instead. I think if but Aaron's, us- Aaron's objection duly noted. Yeah, I, I generally have the same objection and uh, our need to know a sooner rather than later on that, I think we might know at the end of this show based on if the three of us basically come out with scores that we agree upon, that uh, then I think instantly we'd say, well, okay, now we need to flesh this out to see if it's a deal breaker in any way. But if on these four categories, if the three of us have radically different views, they'll then adding a fifth, how much is that helping? So I guess we'll find out. Good point. That's a good point, too. Meaning that it would just have, it, it could have altered the final score or just further cemented whatever final score we come up with. Right. All right. Let's start with abortion. That's the first and foremost life issue of this era. All right. And, and I do each of these in the order in which I scored them. All right. So RFK Jr., his current position is nearly indistinguishable from Trump's. He supports no federal role in the issue. He also said in August, a woman always has the, the, the final say in murdering her baby whenever she wants. 
But then he also said that he opposes baby murder after 21 weeks. You guys remember there was a big confusion about that. And there's been no further clarification since that moment. Uh, Needless to say, he's going to be asked to clarify once and for all his current position after spending his public life recently until recently being like virtually every other Democrat of the era vociferously pro baby killing. For a score, therefore, I gave him a one because he has expressed conciliatory language on the issue in this cycle and seems to be reconsidering it when prior to this cycle, he probably would have gotten a zero from me. Trump is next. He shouldn't be. He should not be next, but he's chosen to be. Because mystifyingly, in this campaign, the former president has decided to turn his back on what many believe to be his greatest accomplishment as president, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. He is currently urging Republicans to become effectively pro-choice, doesn't want the federal government to do anything to protect life, and his current position would permit over 90% of baby murders. So that's why I said earlier his current position is largely indistinguishable from RFK Jr.'s. For a score, I will award Trump a three out of five based on his strong record here as president, but he loses two points that he should have had over his current disappointing dialogue on the issue, which also does, by the way, match his pre-2015 very pro-baby murder public position he expressed for decades. So for decades as a public figure, Donald Trump was very public pro-baby murder, became a Republican president, became the most pro-life Republican president we've ever had, and then has kind of, since uh, leaving the presidency, has gone back to speaking in a lot of the same language he did prior to becoming a president. So in honor of the record, I gave him three points, but he should have gotten five out of five. But I docked him two points because of the way he's campaigning on the issue now. Finally, DeSantis. He signed arguably the toughest pro-life legislation in history into law earlier this year. He's also given his support for a federal ban on murdering babies at 15 weeks. His record slash rhetoric to me are the least ambiguous of the three at the moment. For a score, I gave him a four because I also docked him a point for allowing for exceptions in his otherwise laudable Florida legislation. So I have RFK Jr. with a one, Trump with a three, DeSantis with a four. Thoughts on how I scored abortion? Would you do it differently or not? I would, in this new post-Roe climate, I would actually uh, give Kennedy uh, a two because of how he can be leveraged vis-a-vis uh, the vaccine discussion. When you're, you want to talk about the body's ability uh, to heal itself, how vaccines get himself in, in We're going to get into that stuff later on. Well, I know, but that's, yeah. this is why you can leverage him, because if you believe in that, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. How far are you going to go out on executing... A child. Now in he'll the come back and say, "Because I believe in individual autonomy is also why I'm pro-choice." But mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's the argument I've heard him make. But yeah, yeah but I, I think he can uh, be leveraged. Uh, he, re, I think he has to be more careful. I think uh, I, I think you score Trump too high, because he's kneecapped himself. What he's he's only going to lose votes now. He he. he how is it possible, but it is. He managed to be responsible for pointing the judges that overturned Roe, and yet he is going to lose votes on the life issue. So I think you scored him uh, too high. And DeSantis, I think you're right on. Aaron? So I've got uh, RFK. I've just decided to go hard line on this issue. I, I just think regardless of what your comeback is, individual autonomy, the life issue is a window to the soul. 
and I just have a hard time trusting any mortal man saying he'll go balls to the walls on one important life issue, which are, which are the jabs, but then he doesn't get it on the most important life issue of them all. So I'm giving RFK Jr. a one. I'm giving Donald Trump a two, which in January, December of last year, this would have been five out of five for me, or at least four out of five mm-hmm. for Donald Trump. But mm-hmm. like Tahad said, he's kneecapped himself. So I've got Donald Trump at a two there. And then Ron DeSantis, I was debating whether it's a three or four. I think I, I gave him a four. Uh, again, the exceptions in the heartbeat bill, no, uh, no, uh, but he's done as good. I'm, I'm looking at this. If you had power and a record, what did you use your power to do? And what does that record look like? And I think he did the best he could in Florida. So I'm giving him a four. All right. Let, let's talk about foreign policy, because now we're into issues of both uh, protecting the American people, but then also forever war, the military industrial complex just war theory this is the kind of thing that uh post iraq i think we have to absolutely be having conversations about from a pro-life movement perspective so i'm going to start with desantis here Uh, he helped lead the pushback on the obama mccain saber rattling for war in syria while a member of congress a decade ago he also clearly understands the true purpose of the military to neither forge an empire or be a test tube for pagan and demonic social engineering as it is now score but i'm only going to give him a three here because while he clearly has articulated in civil language what christians would call just war theory and he served in uniform himself his language on the current conflict in ukraine has left some on each side of that contentious issue questioning where he truly is RFK Jr. is next. Like his father before him, he has long been a peace activist and an outspoken critic of Forever War Inc. slash the military-industrial complex. No one speaks to these current fears better than he does. For a scorer, nevertheless, there is also a clearly, there's also clearly a time the military must be used and used to devastating effect to protect and defend life as well. And this is why his score will also be a three. For the word says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace lovers. East of Eden, sadly, there is a time for war. Finally, in this area, Trump. This was overall the strongest sector of his presidency. His prowess as a deal maker, combined with his ability to communicate and project strength as commander in chief, made his the most successful foreign policy presidency since Reagan won the Cold War. He signed peace deals. He kept us out of wars for empire, but yet also decimated ISIS and kept most of our enemies at bay. Uh, For him, I scored him an unequivocal five here. I thought about docking a point just because of how annoyed I was about the slurping over North Korea's leader. But I'm just going to let that go, given the overall body of success. All right. So I have DeSantis and RFK Jr. here at a three and Trump at a five. Aaron, you get to go first this time. Agree or disagree? So I would have given Trump a six out of five if I could on this, you know, slurping of Kim Jong-un notwithstanding. Guys, we had a Republican president who didn't start a war. He just did the foreign policy that I think a lot of us would have loved to see from any number of presidents. Basically, hey, we're all uh, looking to make money and have peace. Uh, And if you get in the way of that, let me introduce you to my good friend, Moab. So I'm giving him a five out of five. Uh, on foreign policy, I'm giving DeSantis a, a, a two on this. Again, the he doesn't have experience, much experience, just being a that's you know, you're a governor of a state. Foreign policy is not exactly central to your role in governing a state. 
And again, his answers on Ukraine have left something to be desired. And RFK Jr., I'm also giving a two. He's, you know, I, I like what he says about Ukraine, but again, he doesn't really have uh, the experience uh, to back it up, no record to back this up. And what you mentioned as well, we um, there is a time for war and just being a strict, uh, I guess, libertarian or uh, isolationist, I, I just don't think always cuts it. So I'm uh, a five for Trump, two for both DeSantis. And yeah, RFK I just Jr. don't think it's an era for dogma foreign policy, period, other than what's in the best interest of the American people. That's yep. my take anyway. Todd? I agree with your scores, except I would go one lower on RFK. I think you... You need to really distinguish yourself. If, if you're an independent candidate, uh, this is uh, one place where if you just fall into anybody's shadow, you aren't helpful in any way, shape, or form, and I don't think he's done anything to distinguish himself. Not that I think that is particularly easy, but I'm talking about you almost have to be like uh, not uh, Ron Paulian in some, you know, just like... A totally different take out there that's like just a whole different view of foreign policy and i don't think that's what rfk is giving us so i just don't think he has anything he, he can't gain anything by just being in the shadow of what's already out there okay two down two to go we'll get back to this exercise after we tell you about our friends over at raycon um raycon is having their anniversary sale right now um and these are the best noise isolating earbuds I've ever owned. So don't miss it. Um, it's 40% off, guys. You can't beat it. You get 20 to 40% off site wide if you use the code birthday right now at buyraycon.com slash Steve. Buy Raycon, R A Y C O N, their biggest sale of the year going on right now. Right now. They're everyday earbuds known for delivering high-quality audio, uh, 32-hour battery life, perfect in-ear fit, half the price of the other premium brands out there, and that's why they've got over 78,000 five-star reviews of those earbuds, by the way. All right? This is their biggest sale of the year. Buyraycon.com slash Steve, R-A-Y-C-O-N, 20 to 40% off site-wide if you use the code BIRTHDAY. Use the code BIRTHDAY at buyraycon.com slash Steve. Again, that's buyraycon.com slash Steve. This is their way to thank everyone that has supported them for the last six years. Buyraycon.com slash Steve. Use the promo code BIRTHDAY for 20 to 40% off. All right, let's get to weaponized government. Trump is first in this topic, which may surprise some of you. Let me explain why. Though he gets credit for being the first national figure on the right to truly give voice to this clear and present danger, his actions never came close to matching the rhetoric. He gave swamp creatures prominent places in his administration rather than draining the swamp. He didn't lock her up. No one was held accountable for the Kavanaugh rape hoax when the forces of weaponization fully manifested via COVID. He gave the bureaucratic state everything it wanted. He surrendered his presidency to Fauci and Burks, implemented the deadly lockdowns and then subsidize their even deadlier genetic serum and plus with even more liability protection for the manufacturers via operation warp speed score he gets a two from me for voicing for giving voice to this concern before many on the right were willing to 
and exposing it to many on the right who failed to see it for years, but an absolute zero for action. By the time that Trump was forced from office, COVID had essentially relocated Trump to effectively useful idiot status for the deep state. Next, DeSantis. No Republican this century, and maybe longer, has done more damage to weaponized government than DeSantis has, and in little more than a term as Florida governor. So many people have been fired, suspended, replaced for refusing to keep their oaths, and corporate interests like Disney confronted for thinking that they were actually the government. It's hard to keep track of the body count that Ron DeSantis has racked up. From the fourth quarter of 2020 on, he also led the political resistance to the scandemic. And to this day, his state remains the only public health department in this hemisphere telling any truth at all about the poison poke, not to mention he convened a grand jury to investigate it, which we should hear about from uh, hear from by year's end. So for his score, I've awarded DeSantis a four here by demonstrating the ruthless effectiveness that fulfilled Trump's rhetoric. He only didn't get a five because doing it in D.C. is going to be much harder. RFK Jr. is next. This is his wheelhouse. He's been a borderline. He's been borderline prophetic on these issues brought to bear by weaponized government for decades now. I mean, he, he was talking about these things before almost anybody really knew what these things even were. Not to mention, who has more incentive to truly shatter the deep state forged by bureaucrats and corporatists than he would, given his family legacy? So for him, I've scored him an unequivocal five. So those are my scores for weaponized government and the reasoning why. Todd, what do you think? I think I'm more or less in the ballpark with you. I would give both DeSantis and RFK Jr. a five, not for the exact same reasons, but they just, it it's a combination of appetite uh, and results. And on this one, they're going to have to be Herculean. Uh, you know, our, our the, the bar for this is so low, but both men are such a breath of fresh air on that front. I would actually give Trump even lower. I would go uh, a one because the talk was cheap. He unsettled people. It's... Uh, it's so much so on both sides that they realize this is something that, you know, just could not be uh, allowed to stand. And Trump, instead of realizing that as a superpower, just kind of let that be good enough. And then he was simply rolled. The words aren't good enough. You've got to be able to follow through. This is your one of your... Um, uh, rules of political warfare, Steve. Like uh, the kill. Never the attack what you're not willing yeah. to kill. Well, yeah. whoops. Yeah. Aaron? For me, on the topic of weaponized government, again, I'm looking through this uh, framework as um, if you had power, what did you do with it? And for me, DeSantis, um, starting at the top, he did all, and he's doing all he can. So I'm giving him a five. RFK Jr., I like the way that he talks, but again, no record, so it's all talk, so I'm giving him a two. And again, what did you do with the power when you had it? Trump is at a one right now. And you can argue, yeah, he was busy exposing, he didn't know how, even he didn't know how deep the rot went. Guys, by, by the time Kavanaugh rolled around, it was time to start slitting some throats. And he didn't. Right. Instead, he kept appointing the Millies of the world. He kept appointing the Chris Rays of the world, or not firing the Chris Rays of the world. So I'm giving him a one on this. And DeSantis, I think I already said five. All right. Let's try to do immigration here quickly. 
For Trump, this was the issue that took him from Novelty Act to Force of Nature in 2016. But while the rhetoric, rhetoric was often hawkish as, as president, he was, again, meh when it came to action. In fact, his immigration czar, Ken Cuccinelli, is actually backing DeSantis. We never built the wall. Mexico never paid for it. He even offered congressional Democrats the biggest amnesty deal in American history for dreamers, which they refused, by the way, because they're open borders or nothing. So for scoring, like with weaponization, he gets points for using his presence as a platform to speak to the issue, but only gets a two because of the lack of substantive action. He couldn't get he couldn't use his presidential leverage to get majority congressional Republicans to substantively act on the issue either. Next, I've got RFK Jr., who I think has done a fantastic job of addressing both the national security dangers as well as the migrant refugee crisis created by our current open borders without betraying his overall center-left sympathy. So for a score, I'm going to give him a three for even attempting this and seeing the border for himself. But I do believe those center-left sympathies will be challenged when it comes to actual solutions. On the other hand... He could also maybe help us reach people with the necessity for real border security and screening who previously weren't with us because he has those sympathies. Kind of like the whole Nixon, only Nixon could go to China kind of thing. And then finally, for DeSantis, he has the right record on the issue as governor and has even sent resources to the other southern border states as well. He also understands how to effectively message this issue for scoring. Nevertheless, I will also give him just a three because moving the system in D.C. will be much harder than doing it even in a diverse state like Florida. There are so many embedded and entrenched open borders interests on both sides. So that's how I scored the immigration issue. A two, a three and a three. Aaron. So I have, just throwing your scores up there again, I have, starting at the bottom, Donald Trump at a one on this. I mean, talking, coming out now, that was the, that was the huge talking point. We're going to build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. That was an instantaneous, universal meme slash talking point. Now he's saying, uh, there was never any way to make Mexico pay for this. He was, I don't think he was ever really serious about this. He did build some wall. But some wall, is, is some wall effective? No. Some wall is just some wall. So I'm giving him a one. Again, if you had power, what did you do with it when you had it? Did you go balls to the walls again when you had it? On RFK Jr., I'm going to need a little bit more than this is a humanitarian crisis. I'm going to need a little bit more than this is immoral. Guys, we are miles. We are light years away from actually having the type of conversations about the southern border that we need to have in order to actually fix the issue. So I'm giving him a one, RFK Jr. DeSantis, I'm giving him a five. He is one of, if not the first one, who actually uh, popularized the practice of busing illegals other places. Good point. Places I, I like didn't New know York. that. That's a good point. He has forced, yeah. along with other governors like Abbott, and we need to give him credit for that, he has forced uber-left-wing politicians like Kathy Hochul into changing their position on that's illegal immigration. Yeah, that's a good so point. So he, he has gone balls to the walls. He passed mandatory E-Verify in a ginormous state like Florida. So I'm giving him a five on this. Todd, quickly, got about 30 seconds. Yeah, I gave him a four. I gave Trump a two, uh, largely because of, you know, mostly talk uh, and not following through. But again, just by default on what we see with Biden, it still looks like he was right, obviously so. And Kennedy, I'll give a three because I don't think anybody who really wants to govern in terms of the issue we just talked about beforehand can allow immigration to go like this on. Okay. We come back. We'll tally up our scores tell you what we have and then we'll get some reaction in a moment stay tuned
Hey, I've got two questions for you. How are you paying for your health care? How's that working out for you? If it's working perfectly, great. If not, though, maybe I've got a solution for you. A biblical solution. It's called Samaritan Ministries. They are a community of Christians paying one another's medical bills. It's biblical, affordable health care sharing, and it's because it's not insurance. That's how it's affordable. So there's no restrictive networks. Here's how it works. When a medical need arises, you choose the health care provider that's right for you and have a say in the treatment you receive, even if it's an unconventional or a natural approach. Send your medical bills to Samaritan Ministries and they'll notify fellow members to pray for you and send money directly to you to help you pay those bills. It could be more affordable than what you're paying now. And if it's the right fit, you can join anytime, even today. So check it out today. At SamaritanMinistries.org slash Steve Dace. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash Steve Dace. Again, SamaritanMinistries.org slash Steve Dace. All right. So just to wrap things up here now, we've looked at the three presidential candidates, that the only three that our show's even remotely interested in. Uh, RFK Jr., Donald Trump, and Ron DeSantis, and we're doing this now that RFK Jr. is on the brink of announcing formally a third-party independent candidacy. So he'll ostensibly be in this for the long haul. We looked at who's the most pro-life from abortion, first and foremost, and then from foreign policy, weaponization of government, and immigration. So out of a possible 20, here are my scores. I have Ron DeSantis with a 14, and RFK Jr. and Trump each with a 12 out of 20. Those are my totals. Todd, what do you have? I had Trump with 10, RFK Jr. with 12, the same as you, and DeSantis with 16. Okay. Aaron? I had Trump with 9, RFK Jr. with 6, and DeSantis with 15. So our composite score is DeSantis with 137 Trump at 10.3 and RFK Jr. at 10. Hmm. You're really low on RFK Jr. Yep. And not much higher than, than, than Trump for that matter. Yep. Okay. All right. Before we get to the responses from the audience, so what I did, I'm not, I'm not ready any of them. I saw we had hundreds when I posted uh, the, uh, the abbreviated version of this on Twitter over the weekend. Um, and I asked you, Todd, to, to let, select five or ten. And, we'll, and you pick the ones that you want me to discuss or want us to discuss, and we'll go through those in just a second. You guys think this is a worthwhile exercise to do? Well, I think it, it gets the ball rolling. I mean, this is a moving target. Yeah, these scores could yeah. be different in six months. Six yeah. months ago, did anybody think that Trump was just going to completely tell Republicans to become pro-choice? No. Well, no. And just within the last 24 hours, the bit about Trump and uh, oh, the, the, wall? the wall. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, that was your, and you're a lunatic if you expected me to actually uh, follow through on that. Yeah. So, you know, I guess it's, it, it'll be fascinating. We, we won't know really until we get to the election and if 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 this kind of thinking which is always useful but if anybody i guess really it'll be curious if anybody even cares about it anymore if the, if this if this is a relevance to the modern american thinker or voter narrator voice it's not <laughs> so i thought it was a good thought exercise i think these types of things are going to be important it'd be cool if we could do this in different contexts on different uh different uh, issues in the future 
because uh, it is kind of fun going through this uh, in kind of uh, lightning speed. But it's important to have these conversations to keep mm -hmm. first things first in our minds. And in my mind, the first things first is somebody, and I forget your last name, but Christopher, you know who you are, sent me some Pew Research. I don't know if it's new or not. Pew Research on support for legalization of baby killing by denomination. And it is shocking. Something like around... 30% of the Southern Baptist Convention of those uh, surveyed supports legalized uh, baby killing. And seeing that this morning, and it was the same for a lot of different denominations, it's just shocking the margins are not what they should be in otherwise you would think somewhat, somewhat conservative or very conservative denominations. And so seeing that this morning, uh, that was the backdrop in which I had on this. And so I'm just going, you know, first things first, uh, don't kill babies. So that's why I went so hard on, on that issue. Fair enough. And that's the beauty of it. Everybody's entitled to their own metric and how they score within those metrics. All we ask, whether it's you, Todd, or me, or, or Aaron, or me, or anybody else, show your work so we know why you think that way. And, and you did that, so that's appreciated. All right, let's get to some reaction. Aaron, you've got those. So we'll begin with Chris Schaefer. I think this is a good place to start off, who asks this. In compiling the scores, you weighted each of the four areas equally. Was that intentional or an oversight? It was intentional. Now, I, I can see why some may want these to be not weighted equally. So, you know, you would maybe do, if you think one of those issues is more prevalent than the other, you might be more concerned about the threat of nuclear war right now. And so you might view foreign policy on a scale of one to seven to weight it higher. Okay. Um, you might be an OG pro-lifer for decades trying to save the baby. So you might, you, you may weigh that more prevalently. Um, but I chose I chose on purpose not to do that because it, it was already going to be a subjective enough exercise in the issues I chose and how I rated them. I thought it would be too subjective if I then weighted them at the exact same time. But that's a very good question. Next up, we go to Whitey McWhiteface, uh, <laughs> who says this. Uh, DeSantis, being the only one to wear their uniform, should absolutely start at a five. I think he means on foreign policy. If you want to deduct one for Ukraine, I wouldn't quibble. He also deserves a five on abortion. Expecting zero exceptions is not a reasonable position. On the latter, I get that. But it, it's my grade. And I think, you know, deciding, well, yeah, everything has a heartbeat unless it was conceived thusly, then it doesn't is not a reasonable position in the kingdom of God. But politically, you're probably correct, but that's not my primary concern. Uh, on the other matter, I think, I, you know, as a child of the 80s, I would have had your thought until the last, until the last 20 years. And whether it was the Fort Hood massacre and seeing the head of the army on CNN, hoping this doesn't ruin their Muslim outreach program, the uh, wokeification of the military, the yeah, rainbow jihading of the military. Yeah, I, I just don't think it, it gives you an automatic laudable benefit of the doubt to me anymore. It doesn't. I'm sorry. It, it just it doesn't. And, and again, those are things I, I just would have never in a million years when I started in this business in June of 2006 would I have ever thought I'd ever say something like that. But I, but it's what I sincerely think. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to consider that in, in the overall framework of grading DeSantis, which is what I did, but I don't think it gives you an automatic benefit of the doubt to me anymore.
I mean, I think we just learned in the last couple of years that the vast majority of U.S. soldiers have told they had to round you up in order to take a forced vaccination would do it. They failed the compliance test. I think we just all learned that. So, no, it, it just doesn't. It, it, it's just not automatic hero status to me anymore. So it's a case by case basis. This one is from Dale Doback, who says, I'm approaching single issue voter status rapidly on justice for COVID, inclusive of the poison jab and tyranny. RFK is very intriguing to me right now. DeSantis RFK would take some thought, but Trump RFK would not. So who is that again? Dale? Dale. Dale. See, I'm where you are. And that this is why I didn't wait the issues. Because I, I also don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. And... All those issues I, I put in the metric are important, but this one to me is the watershed moment of my lifetime. I mean, it, this is not since December 7th, 1941, has it been more real or possible to the average American that their may, way of life may disappear and not return than it was starting March 16th of 2020. And And for those of you that think that it, it, holding him, holding Trump accountable for that gets in the way of your idolatry. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time with that. And so if you wanted me to weigh them, I would have actually weighed weaponization higher than all the others because of what you just said, Dale. But then I have to ask myself, is that, is that just... If, if I did it this way, then you guys got to all do your own scores. If I start weighting the issues, then you're then it's not a framework. You're being asked to give your opinion on my opinion. Did you, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And and so I didn't do that. But on a, on a personal level, Dale, I am where you are at. And it bothers me greatly to see the amount of gripped, I'm sorry, um, people who have just suddenly forgotten everything that we went through for the last three years. And they've forgotten and, suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> Preach. Next, we go to uh, Cooch says, RFK has articulated his belief in certain bureaucratic powers, especially when it comes to the environment and gun control. How can you possibly award a five, I think, on weaponization of government when he holds such beliefs? So in the last year, he's actually um, spoken quite um, skeptically about the the militant climate agenda, for example, um, and has on a couple of occasions I've heard him draw a line between that and his environmental activism. And in fact, you're actually seeing this on Twitter. You see this a lot with some of uh, left of center um, anti big pharma types. You are seeing them now begin to um, take the uh, the the green energy hyper green energy um malthusian ethic and put that together with um with the big pharma stuff so uh, and and he also was very adamant that uh at least in one town hall that i saw that he doesn't believe gun confiscation will do anything to actually solve the crime problem in america he said that point blank to a democratic audience in new hampshire actually earlier this year Good question. These are all really good questions so far. Good stuff. This is from Mercy Lopez. Kennedy is a liberal with some middle-of-the-road positions. Trump is a liberal with a conservative mask, depending on the phase of the moon. DeSantis is the one and true conservative. I, I, I think both of your 
characterizations of RFK Jr. and Trump may be somewhere between not updated, pardon me, sorry, or harsh, but I agree with overall the, I mean, Ron DeSantis, Ted Cruz was, Ted Cruz was the potential fulfillment of every book we've all read um, every show from Rush, Glenn, Levin, we've all listened to our whole lives. DeSantis is the literal fulfillment of all those things. So I, I agree with your description of DeSantis. I, I would describe Trump as a patriotic narcissist, and I, 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 I would describe, I would describe RFK Jr. as anti-establishment more than anything. Whether that establishment is. Uh, a corporation like Big Pharma, whether it's a bureaucracy like the Pentagon, um, I would. That's how I would describe those three. I, to me, I think, I think Ron DeSantis is a true constitutional conservative. I think Trump is a patriotic narcissist, and I, um, I think um, RFK Jr. is anti-establishment, uh, comprehensively. Uh, if it's okay, I, I think we should all give our thoughts on this one. Uh, sure. This is from the Cuban dude. Since Trump will never get my vote in a three-way race between Biden or Kamala or Newsom, RFK Jr. and Trump, I would vote for RFK. For one thing, he seems honest and earnest, even if I disagree with him on many issues. Secondly, while definitely a man of the left, he seems to be the old-fashioned kind of liberal, the kind we could debate and negotiate with. And lastly, he would be the only candidate of the three who would at least try to dismantle the censorship regime that was born during the Trump administration and blossomed under Biden. Easy choice. I don't disagree with a lot of that. Um, I go back to what I said during the immigration portion, that it's possible he could bring some people outside of the partisan arena who think what's going on in the border is, is insane, but, but I don't want to seem like I'm anti my own guy at the same time, okay? And I think on an issue like censorship, I absolutely believe there's a huge, like, Bill Maher kind of an audience of people out there who will never vote with us in, within the partisan structure. But outside of that, if these things were up on like a referendum, would probably vote for things like Brexit and, and against censorship, like on a pure referendum. And I could see him kind of being the manifestation of that kind of a referendum. I, a lot of that I probably agree with. You know, it's fun. We we didn't support Trump in 2016 just because there was so much uncertainty about a guy like this living up to that which he uh, promised. Ted Cruz was more of a known. I I think my calculus on what this guy's saying is yes, we know certain things along the lines of what this guy said, but also what's appealing to me is more uh, the unknowns to me are more of a benefit. I know exactly what I'm getting with Biden. And I think at this point, I know exactly what I'm getting with Trump and they're quite concerning. Uh, and they're growing con more concerning by the day with Donald Trump. I'm willing to take my chances with the unknowns of RFK jr. More, I think. So basically what I took from, I think that was the Cuban dude and how I read that is does RFK jr. Look like the type of person, seem like the type of person, talk like the type of person, that would sign your death warrant for wrong think. Yeah. Yeah. I think the answer to me is no. I agree. So yeah. I'm still open to voting for him. All of those things that I discussed earlier, notwithstanding. But there are so many. I mean, you're governor in Wisconsin, Todd. I think it's, is it Tony Evers? Yeah. He is the most, 
boring, uh, nonchalant political figure maybe in the Midwest. I still think that he would yeah. sign my death oh, yeah. warrant for wrong thing. No question he would. Down yeah. no, no question he would. Yep. Uh, finally, let's go back to where we began with one million Newtons. It's amazing how biblical worldview always seemed to map very closely to what Steve Dace thinks. Well, like you said, Aaron, thank you. That's really the goal, as I'm, you know, like Abraham Lincoln once famously said, and we're not saying that God is on our side, we're trying to get on his. Mm-hmm. And so the beauty of the scriptures is you can open them up and find out what God thinks. He's eternalized it in his word. Uh, the Bible is not an old book uh, that tells us what happened. It's an eternal book that tells us what is actually happening and always happens. So uh, that's a compliment. I don't think it was meant as, meant as one. But, you know, that's the beauty of citing the scriptures as my framework is if you disagree, you are welcome to open those exact same scriptures and point out where, where I am wrong. And we can come now and reason together. And I'm always happy to do that. Yeah, you played yourself, Juan. Any final thoughts on this here in the last 30 seconds before we have to hit the eject? I think we did the best we could. Uh, that's an evergreen. We always try to do the best we could with this, but it's it's not even again. It's not even so much this the scores and the specific candidates, but if it, this is a kind of thinking that people prefer at all, or the truth for that matter. Hmm. Amen. Well said. Back at it again tomorrow, noon to Eastern, right after Glenn Beck. Until then, John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.